This is Revision Church Atlanta Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Wesley Knight, the lead pastor here at Revision Church Atlanta. Here at RCA, we leverage the power of prayer, personal influence, community development, and love to empower transformation in Christ. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Thank you for tuning in. Begin this morning with prayer. Let's begin this morning with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity of worshiping you and connecting with you. Speak to us. Personalize a message for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about regrets. I I wonder if there is at least five of you that would not mind writing down something that when you think back in your life, you wish you had done something different. I don't know if there's five of you that will say, yeah, I wish I did not do this or I wish I had done something different. This concept of regrets is something that in this present culture, there is a phrase that says, no regrets. I have zero regrets. I don't have any regrets. You should not have any regrets. The life came out and turned out as as it did. But the truth is, scientifically, I'm going to prove that to you this morning, and biblically, there is power in regrets. In fact, there's the name of a book, The Power of Regret. As I look at my life, I, I look at some things and I think of some things that I've done as a parent, for example, that I feel regretful for. Uh, I remember, and, and some of you have, have heard me tell this story, I remember leaving my daughter by herself when she was five years old in the middle of a thunderstorm because I had to go and preach somewhere. I remember coming back home and finding out that she had my 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 wife found her underneath the bed. The electricity had, had gone out in the house. And because I valued my job more than my family, I left her there. I wish I could go back to that night, that Friday night. It was a Friday night. I wish I could go back to that Friday night and change that. So I regret that I have as a parent. In fact, my daughter, who's 26 now, married, never lets me forget it. Sometimes she'll say, hey, we're going to the mall. We're going to the mall of Georgia. This is when they lived over here. And, uh, and you know, can can I have some money, Dad? I'm going to buy myself something. I'm like, I don't have, what, what do you mean money? Like, I, ask your husband. And she's like, do you remember when I was five <laughs> and the money just comes out? I remember one time my son, and after today's message, you're going to think the guy was a terrible dad. Well, for a while there, it was, it was, it was rough. I remember my son, he was like maybe 10. We were, we were burning some wood in the backyard, and he threw the whole can of gas inside. Of course, some of the gas fell on him, and he burned his leg, right? And he dropped, stopped, dropped, and rolled. And I looked at the at the burn, and I thought to myself, it's not that bad. There's no need to go to the hospital. So I told them what my parents told me when I had burns. is like, yeah, just put some toothpaste on it. 
And, and you know, a couple hours later, we, we found ourselves in an emergency room because he had first degree burns in his leg. I can still see the burns in his leg right now. And he does not let me forget that. I wish there were some things I that I did that I did not do. There's a song um, from a person. Her name is Edith Piaf. Edith lived in France in the last century. And he wrote a song that even though you never know her, you'll see it and you'll hear it in some commercials today. That song is called No Regrets. And you'll hear it in French in some commercials today. Edith Piaf. Okay. Edith Piaf said her famous song, No Regrets. No, nothing of nothing. I don't regret anything, neither the good things people have done to me or the bad things. It's all the same to me. That made that song made her famous. Some people say no regrets and they put it on social media. That that's not much of a commitment. So some people will put it on a t-shirt that you can wear outside. That's a little more of a commitment to to a, a specific way of thinking. No no regrets. Uh, some people might even put it in a bumper sticker. I've seen it in bumper stickers in cars. That's a higher level of commitment, especially if your car is not trash. But the greatest commitment to a particular set of beliefs is when somebody inks it on their body. And they, they get a tattoo that says, no regrets. And <laughs> I, I've seen the famous picture of a tattoo where they spell regrets, R-A-G-R-E-T-S, that the tattoo itself is a regret. Because <laughs> they, they missed school that day. So I want to talk to you about three things today. I want to talk to you about why regrets happen. Number two, how do we react or deal with regrets? And number three, how to solve regrets. So I want to take you to scripture first to two people that both of them did a similar action. Both of them, when you look at their lives, they made a very similar mistake. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 3. His name is Judas. The second one is found in Matthew 26, uh, verse 75, and his name is Peter. And I want you to notice the different way that each of them, even though their action was similar, their reaction was different. First one is Judas. Chapter 25, verse 3 says, when Judas, who betrayed him, betrayal is a key word here, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders. Verse 5, and when Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, he went out and hung himself. He betrayed. He realized what he had done. He hung himself. Peter now, chapter 26, verse 75 of Matthew. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. One betrays, realizes his mistake, and hangs himself or hangs himself. The second one betrays, realizes what he's done. 
and goes away weeping bitterly, but does not do any harm to himself. So why the difference? And how do we deal with regrets? I, I don't know if somebody's thinking right now, well, Pastor, you're just stirring up some old thoughts that I didn't want to have this beautiful Sunday morning. I'm a Saturday morning. Let me tell you. Number one, the first thing I want to talk to you today is why regrets happen. There are four, everybody, four. You want to take notes and and uh, and just, just write it down or tweet them out or, or, you know, put them on social media. This is a great moment to do it. There are four reasons. There are four main regrets. Okay, there are four main regrets that people have. The book is called The Power of Regret. Daniel Pink is a person who wrote it. Daniel Pink sent out two tweets. Two tweets that said, tell me your regrets. He got 19,000 responses out of two tweets and a blog article. Two tweets and a blog article. And he put them all together did a, an intentional major study and found out there are four main regrets that people have. Okay. And I'm going to preface each one with if only. So I just, I, I, I want somebody to, to just say that with me. If only. I know you haven't brushed your teeth today, but just say it. If only. All right. If only. First, if only. If only I'd done the work. These are people that look back in their lives and say, man, if only I'd done the work academically, I would be in a better position today. I wouldn't have such a hard time with math today. I wouldn't have such a hard time with relationships today. If only I'd done the work. If only I'd eaten better. I, I wouldn't be this overweight now. If only I started exercise early. If only I'd done the work. They look back in their life, and now it's it's too late. The problem is, it's you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. If only I'd done the work. So wherever you are, especially the younger you are, if only I'd saved some money. The best time to have saved money was twenty years ago, and the second best time is today. If only I'd done the work. Number two, if only I'd taken the chance. If only I'd taken the chance. This is this is one of the things. More than three to one. Listen up, everybody. More than three to one. The second one, more than three to one. People regretted more the chance they did not take versus the chance they took and failed. Three to one. <clears throat> if only I'd taken the chance. As I look back. On my life, there's chances I wish I'd have taken. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody today. You wish you'd taken that chance on that relationship. And now that person is married to somebody else. You wish you'd taken the chance on that job. And then you realize later on because your fear has stopped you. That that would have been indeed a great opportunity. If only I'd taken the chance. Everybody deals with pain. Either the pain of failure or the pain of regret. But nobody escapes pain. If only I'd taken the chance. I, I always like to tell the story about my, my brother-in-law, who is my brother-in-law now, but when he was he was single, he was he was in the church, he was my sound tech, and and my sister-in-law, and my sister-in-law, my 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 wife's sister was living with us, and she was single, he was single, and I was trying to get these guys together, and he was like, Well, what if I ask her out? And and she says no. 
What if I ask her out and 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 she refuses? And I'm like, stop living in the what ifs. Like you're single right now. If you ask her out and she says no, you're still single. There are no super single categories. There are no single to the second degrees. There are no, no there's no extra single category. You're no, nobody's gonna look at you and say, like, hey, there goes an extra single person. Take a chance. Take a chance. Don't let fear drive your decisions. If only I'd done the work. Somebody say, if only. If only I'd done the work. If only I'd taken the chance. If only I'd done the right thing. Especially with bullies. You saw somebody being bullied in school. These are... These are These are regrets that even 30 years later and 40 years later stick with the person. You saw somebody being bullied at work, but you stayed quiet because you didn't want to make any waves and you, you, you didn't want to get in the middle of anything. If only I'd done the right thing and helped that person, they would not have committed suicide. If only had, I had intervened in that abusive situation instead of like, well, that's their marriage, that's their problem. If only I'd done the right thing and spoken out about social justice. If only I look at marginalized people in our communities and been a more vocal and active about my feelings instead of just, well, I don't want people to change that, that you know, and I, I know my family would treat me different. If only I'd done the right thing. Regret number three. Why regrets happen? The four main regrets. If only I'd done the work. If only I'd taken the chance. If only I'd done the right thing. And number four, the pastors who are watching me and the people who have gone to funerals understand this fourth one. If only I'd reached out. If only I'd reached out. The, the book tells a story about a lady who, who grew up with a friend, a female friend, and they were friends all through middle school, and they grew up in the same neighborhood, and they were, they were, they were very, 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 very tight, and, and they went to school together. They were in each other's weddings, and then they moved to separate places, and because life is life, they, they grew apart, not because they were angry at each other. They just had other priorities. So the communication became sparse and then became non-existent. And, and she found out that her friend had breast cancer. And she thought to herself, I need to reach out to my friend that has breast, ca breast cancer. But she thought to herself at the same time, it's going to be kind of awkward if I reach out now because we haven't talked for a while And I haven't reached out for a while. So if I just reached out now that I found out that she has breast cancer, then she's going to just think that I have pity on her. And that's why I'm reaching out. So I'll, I'm just going to wait a little bit until I reached out. And then when she finally reached out, she reached out on an afternoon and found out that her friend had died that morning. Regrets. If only I reached out. The last time I saw him, we had a fight, and then he had a car accident. If only I reached out. I, I saw the signs of this child with depression. I saw the signs. I knew there was something wrong. I, I, I Maybe I could have made a difference if only I reached out. So these are the four main regrets. 
a couple more things before I go to my second point. Here are some breakdowns of those four. People regretted what they did not do. I just said that a little while ago. People regretted what they did not do three to one more than things they didn't fail. Number one. Number two, one of the common regrets that people had is uh, I did not pursue higher education. I, I turned down opportunities to travel and, and I missed final chances to connect with loved ones. This, that was category number three. A very intense one. Listen up, everybody. Before I, before I say what I'm, what I'm about to say, I'm a fan of marriage. I love marriage. I think marriage done well is a piece of heaven on earth. But one of the main regrets and a very intense regret of people when they talked about their life was not getting out of a bad relationship, an abusive marriage when they had a chance. As they look back, it's like, I wasted all these years trying to make somebody love me who showed me the first time he didn't. I love my Angelos quote. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time. And, and then hanging my hope on what ifs versus what is. See, when, when somebody shows you who they are, as we move forward, I, I'm, I'm going to base my relationship on evidence, not promises. Like, I want to see that like, you tell me you love me. I want to see it. I want evidence. I don't want promises. I don't need promises. La a large amount of people in their 40s and 50s regretted when they were younger more failings they've never told anybody. And then the last one in this first part is this. I, I, I know I'm talking to somebody right now. Listen up. This is for you. This is for you. One of the most common themes in the regret area is living somebody else's life rather than being true to yourself. There are lots of people in your family, in your circle of friends, in your job, in your community, and in your neighborhood. And sometimes in your church, I would say, especially sometimes in your church, that walk around with scripts for your life. Here's your script. I think you should be a doctor. I remember talking to somebody who graduated from college, four years, got all A's, and the moment he graduated, he erased all his computer and did something completely different. And when I asked him, why would you go to school for four years and graduate with a degree and then give up everything? They said, I wanted to please my parents. My parents thought I should get this four-year degree, so I did, but that's not what I want to do. I want to build fish tanks. That's what I want to do for, want to do for a living. Living somebody else's life, they regret looking back and say, why did I act the way I acted and try to please everybody? And at the end of the day, I ended up pleasing no one. And I did not end up pleasing my creator who gave me a specific purpose. Nobody understood because it wasn't theirs. One of the most common themes people regret it is living somebody else's life. Your purpose is as unique as your fingerprint. There's nobody in the world that can do the purpose or can live out the purpose that you have. You waste time when you try to follow somebody else's script. You're not an actor. You're not in the movies. This is real life. This here is real. 
So how do we cope with regrets? <clears throat> As we look at our lives, how do we cope? Let's look back again in scripture at those final moments in the life of Jesus and look at four groups of people and how they dealt with their regrets. If you want to write this for you, you're welcome to that. That's that way they'll put it on the screen. Uh, and you, you, you just imagine for a moment that here's Jesus. He's dying on the cross. There's people that eventually either ultimately or in their life, they're going to look back at this moment with regret. So how do we deal with regret? Number one, some people play games and live a life of game playing. Matthew 27 verse 35 says, after they nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. This text has always amused me, impacted me. It was a, it's a very interesting text because just picture this. Here is the most monumental, incredible, significant, life-changing moment in the history of life. Jesus is dying on the cross. And people are playing games while Jesus is dying. I, I, I know I'm, I'm talking to somebody. I know not in revision because revision is perfect. But there's people that come to church to play games. To come to church to see who they can hook up with. They're going to come to church to just, just play religious games and just a facade. But their life is a mess otherwise. And they want to tell everybody else how to live. But in their own lives, they don't even know what they're doing. Because controlling people have uncontrolled lives. People want to play games relationally. Want to hook up with this and this and this. And just, I just want to, I don't want to make any deep commitments. I just want to have. Some buddies on the side want to play games relationally, want to play games with careers, want to play games with other people, want to play games how they approach spirituality. That's a way of dealing with regrets. If, whenever you see somebody who always likes to play games, look deep in the past of that person and you will see regretful actions they have not gotten over from. Some people play games. Number two. Some people become abusive. This is what happened to Jesus. He's on the cross. Verse 39 says the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Verse 40, and they said, look at you now. Abused people abuse. Some people deal with regretful things that have happened in their past by doing the same things to other people in the future. They abuse other people. Look back again. If you see somebody who's abusive online, If you see somebody who's a troll online, if you see somebody in your family, there's always one in your family, right? That they, they comment on your weight. Nobody asks you to comment on my weight. Nobody asks you to comment on the stuff that's wrong with me. And they'll, they, they'll abuse you under, underhandedly. They, they'll, they'll say things like, man, you're brave by wearing that dress. Man, if I was you, I would never wear that dress. No, no. Not with your body, but you're brave. You're just, just trying to abuse you. People, people that abuse other people, people that have some regretful things that have happened in their past where they never spoke out about what happened to them. Somebody said that if we don't learn from the past, we're condemned to repeat it. 
I, I, I talk to people all the time in church, people that sit in church in the pews, 60% of, of the women in church have been abused. This is a statistical fact. About the same amount of men. There's a lot of abuse sitting in those pews. There's a lot of regret sitting in those pews. There's a lot of unprocessed regrets. You never spoke up about what happened to you. And now you take it out of somebody. I, I remember having a conversation with somebody. I'm going to get pretty real right, right now. I remember having a conversation with somebody. I said, because we had a, a young lady who, who got pregnant out of wedlock. And this, 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 this woman idea is like, we should t put her in front of the church and discipline her publicly to send a message to the young people, to send a message to the young people that this is not right. And I'm, I'm all for redemptive discipline. But this is not it. This is, this is not it. So I, I'm talking to her like, why, why would you shame somebody that way? Why would you shame somebody in this way? And she's like, yeah, because now it's all, it's all, it's all great and fantastic. And, and everything goes now in church, she says. Because when I was growing up, I got pregnant out of wedlock. Hey, everybody. I got pregnant out of wedlock. And they put me up in front of church and they disciplined me. I'm like, did that feel good for you? No, it did not. It felt horrible. Like, why would you want that for the next generation? Why would you want that for the next people growing up? Don't you want a better experience with Jesus? How do people deal with regrets? Number one, they play games. Number two, they're abusive. Number three, they become legalists. <laughs> Verse 41, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and the elders also mock Jesus. The third way that people deal with regret in their lives is to become legalists. Hear me now or believe me later. That's an SNL quote. Hear me now or believe me later. Let me tell you something. Controlling people. Let me, let, let me rephrase that. Controlling religious people have uncontrolled items in their life. When you have an area of your life, you cannot bring under control. You shift your attention on trying to control other people. That's why the greatest and loudest and most strident voices against people who are gay have some gay issues themselves. You can't have that level of vitriol and not struggle with same-sex attraction yourself. Something has happened to you for you to hate somebody in their life. Something has happened to you. Legalism manifests himself because of unresolved issues in me. Let me read a quote from Ellen White because some of you don't, don't believe this unless she said it. So this, this part is for you. Manuscript 2 1903, Ellen White says, no one, everybody say no one, write it down, somebody put it on the screen, Durant, put it on the screen, no one. What is no one? That seems like a very clear, cut, dry, definitive statement. No one. What does that mean? What does no one mean? Does it mean there's no exceptions? No one is ever, once again, so she adds no one. And then on top of that, she puts ever. 
It's like you have your chocolate ice cream and then chocolate syrup on top. No one and recrimination better or recrimination to tell a tender soul no way inspires him or her to do better. Better by the initiation and recrimination to tell a tempted soul of his guilt in no way inspires him with a determination to do better. You did, did you get that? I'm talking to some parents right now. I mean, you were raised with a boot, a boot on your neck. You were raised in a household else. You were raised with pinches and church when you didn't behave. You were raised obligated to wear suits and dresses to church. And, 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 and were sinful. You were raised in a way that was very harsh on your spirituality. And now, because of a lack of understanding of grace, you had, you had on your neck, on your kid's neck. And some of you feel that neck, that, that, that boot right there. It's like nothing you can do is right. The kid brings home five A's and one C. And instead of you congratulating him for the five A's, oh man, my goodness, five A's? How did you do in this five A's? Tell me something about that school. What did you like about these subjects? You concentrate on the C. So what's up with the C? Yeah, and, 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 and I know you have some A's, but what about the C? What's going on with the C? I mean, your sister didn't get C's. What's going on? Like, what happened here? Did you, you fail to study? And it's always, always you have to do better. It's never enough. Take out the trash. Take off that music. Stop doing this. It's always do, 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 do. And the picture you're sending that young person of Jesus and God is that it is impossible to please him. Because they never please you. Have you stayed curious for longer periods of time? Have you, have you told your kid, I love you unconditionally? Think about children's stories in church, for example. When's the last time you heard a children's story that was grace-oriented? It's always about Timmy, all right? Or Jonathan, or Tyrone, right? And Tyrone is with his mom. And his mom says, Tyrone, don't go outside because there are tigers outside. And Tyrone wants to go outside, but he's, still, he's fearful about his mom said, but he goes outside. This is children's story now. And he goes outside. And there's a tiger outside that eats Tyrone up. Okay, little children, go back to your moms and dad and make sure you still, you sit still in church because a tiger might eat you too. It's all behavior centric. When's the last time you talked to your kids about the grace of God, that they're saved by grace through faith plus nothing period? When's the last time? This is how we deal with our people that look back in their life. I'm going to throw my way to the future. And then the last one is people try to deal with their regrets by numbing the pain. 
chapter 27, verse 47 of Matthew says, some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. So one of them ran, verse 48, and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But what it had is not just wine. It had a numbing influence. It was, it was drugs that the person took because when you're crucified, you're crucified and, and it, it's through here that the nails go, not through here, it's right here. So it went through here, it would rip them. And you, you're pushing yourself up to breathe and pushing yourself down. It's a very excruciatingly painful experience. So they would give the people who were crucified this mixture of alcohol and a cocktail drugs that will numb the pain. So they'll forget the pain that they were in. Some of you are doing that right now. You're trying to numb the pain. Feels like hell. Thinking to yourself, and I know, God is trying to speak to somebody. That's why the devil is trying to mess with the technology. God is trying to speak to somebody. You're numbing your pain. You're numbing it by toxic relationships. You're numbing it by putting things in your body to make you feel good for a little bit. But then you have to come back to living with yourself. And I would just tell you that Christ and counseling are not in opposition. You need to go and dig deep and say, okay, what are the regrets that I have? What are the things that I've been Regrets don't disappear. If you don't deal with them, they become radioactive and they seep out. That's why you have multiple relationships. They're all an inch deep and a mile long. How are you numbing the pain? To social media scrolling and you get jealous and competitive. When you compare your full-length movie to somebody else's highlight reel, it's like, why can't I have that husband? Look at that husband. Look at that. And you're scrolling. Why can't I have that husband? Look at that. Look at that. Like, they're taking color-coded pictures with their wife. They're all dressed in white. Look at this. I can't get my husband to stop farting around the house. Like, why don't I have that life? And you're scrolling numbly, right? You're scrolling it's another, let's binge on Netflix. Nothing wrong with watching Netflix. Nothing wrong with having a, I'm not going to demonize your cell phone. I'm just asking you, what are the things that you look for to numb the pain that really exists in you so you don't have to deal with it? So the brings me to my last point. What can we do? We look at regrets. What can we do? The three things that the book helps us to understand that are also in scripture. Number one, is you admit it happened. You don't say, well, I have no regrets. It happened. This was a real event. This is a real bad decision. The reason why people don't admit it happened is because their self-esteem does not allow it. People that have no regrets don't have higher self-esteems. They have lower self-esteems. They cannot deal with the failure. They cannot deal with the fact that they failed. They cannot deal with the fact that they can't look at themselves and say, yep, I failed. I remember being a pastor of a church and changing the, the carpet on a Tuesday night without anybody being there. 
<laughs> and when people came to church on Saturday, they were like, who in the world? I mean, it was a scandal. Sometimes in churches, it's easier to add a fourth person to the Trinity than it is to change the color of the carpet. It was scandalous. And I remember being in the board meeting, and it was rough. And I, I don't know why. Maybe I was a young pastor. And I said, hey, everybody, I messed up. I'm sorry. I admit it happened. And it just diffused the situation. Instead of going to your corner and going to se- and, 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 and being deceptive or trying to gaslight somebody else about, no, that's not what really happened. You understood it wrong. It's, I'm sorry that you that you were hurt. I'm sorry that you, that, that what I said, that you took it wrong. That's not an apology. Admit it happened. It was a mistake. Now you're taking ownership over your, over your, your regrets. Number two, receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. I, 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 I want to be honest with you. For me, I don't know if it's for you. If it's for you, just put it in the chat right there. For me too, me too, pastor. Okay. For me, it's easier to forgive somebody else. It's not easy, but it's easier to forgive somebody else than it is to forgive myself. When I look at, 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 at those two instances with my kids, I was like, man, what, what, what was I thinking? When I spanked one of them, I was like, what, what was I thinking at that moment? You know, when I, my wife and I were going to celebrate 30 years uh, in August on our anniversary. And we were, we were talking about the other day about the fights that we've had in 30 years. There was one time that I stopped talking to my wife for two days. And, <laughs> you know, I don't remember what the fight was about. And she was like, yeah, you stopped talking to me for, for 40 years. I'm like, what? how mature of me was that? But I had to embrace it. I had to admit that it happened. And I had to receive forgiveness. I'm like, man, I messed up. As a husband, that's not something I should have done. I have to receive forgiveness. I have to not only receive forgiveness from God, I have to believe for myself. I have to forgive myself for not being present, for being at the wrong place, for using what I did. And then the last one, let regrets lead you to life change. That lady I was talking to you earlier in the message, she had a friend and her friend had cancer. And she never called. And her friend died. She told herself. I did wrong. I accept forgiveness from God. And I forgive myself. And I'm going to be a better friend from now on. I admit it happened. I receive forgiveness. And I'm going to let my regret lead me to life change. Now, they're not monsters hiding in your closet. Now they are out in the open. Now you redeem your regrets. You don't ignore your regrets. You don't forget your regrets. You redeem them. So she told herself, next time one of my friends is ill, I'm going to be a better friend. Coincidence? I don't know. She has another friend who also is sick with cancer. She calls. She visits. She takes food. Her friend also passes. You see you see what can be done with our regrets? Instead of taking our regrets and try to hide them somewhere and act like we've never done any mistakes and act 
and present to the world a face that, look at me, I don't care about anything. People that say I don't care about anything care about a lot. Let your regrets lead you to life change. This is what Jesus did with Peter. He denied him three times. I'm almost done here. But I want you to get this. He denied him three times. And Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages that when Jesus comes out after Peter denies him and looks at him, his eyes bloodshot because he'd been hit. Blood on their face, on his face. Parts of his beard are missing. Crown of thorns on his, is on his head. He probably has a concussion. And he's walking out just like a boxer after a big fight with the eyes that are almost closed. And his eyes and Peter's eyes meet. And Peter realizes that at that moment I've messed up. And he leaves. And Jesus is crucified. And we have the blessing of knowing the rest of the story. But Peter did not. Peter said, man, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. I have done royally messed up. I have denied my Savior. He is dead now. What do I tell him? How do I tell him I'm sorry? It was a night. I messed up. I, I, I don't want to be that person. I'm I'm a, I want to be a different person. But Jesus is dead and in the grave. That's why when Jesus is resurrected, he tells. In the book of Mark, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why does he single Peter out? Because he knows what Peter is dealing. He knows the regret that Peter is dealing. And Jesus knows the regret that you're dealing with too. He understands the mistakes you've made. He, he knows, as you look back, you're not surprising God by telling him the messed up life that you've had. You're not surprising him. He looks back and says, I want you to tell Peter, your regrets, your failures are not final. Death is not the end. And he shows up to see him personally. And he asked him, John chapter 21, he asked him the following questions. Peter, did you, did you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And a second time he says, Peter, did you love me? Of course, Lord, you know that I love you. And a third time he says, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Why was he hurt? Because he realizes, oh, three times. Now it's three times. Man, he, a flashback. It comes back. It's like, oh, man. He knows that I denied him the three times. He says, hey, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you and says, feed my sheep. Sheep. In other words, I can still use you, Peter. And I don't know who I'm talking to today, but you've been carrying that weight for too long. It impacts every relationship you have. It impacts every decision you make. It impacts who you love and how you love them. It impacts the dreams you have for yourself. It impacts your body image. It impacts the way you eat. It impacts your habits. It impacts your regrets are to be redeemed. And Jesus can do that for you. It's interesting that Edith Piaf, when she was almost going to die at 47, the girl that wrote No Regrets, 
At age 47, she was about to die. Her body ravaged by drugs because she was an addict. She had had three marriages, all failed. One of her husbands had died. One of her child, she had had a child, gave the child for adoption. He died. And in her deathbed at 47, dying at 47 because of how she's ravaged her, her body, you would expect that the composer of the song that says, no regrets, would say, I have no regrets. I'm dying because I'm a junkie and I failed at every relationship and I've given up people who later died. I have no regrets. Here I am. But this is her last words. Her last words is, everything in this life you do, you have to pay for. But I want to tell Edith, she's mistaken. Everything in this life you did, Jesus paid for. So you don't have to live any longer under that cloud. You don't have to walk any longer with that weights on yourself. You don't have to walk and live any longer living with a past that Jesus has forgiven. So I'm going to pray for somebody today. If you're watching wherever it is and you, and you want to say, yeah, I have some regrets. I need God to heal me from. I want to admit it happened. I want to forgive. And I want to let it lead to life change. Just put in the chat, I will. Jesus died for your good days and your bad days. Jesus died for your mistakes and your errors and your sins and the stuff you meant to do but didn't and the stuff you didn't meant to do but did. Just put I will. I'm going to admit it happened. I'm going to receive forgiveness. I'm going to let it lead me to life change. I want to pray for you now. If you want to reach out, I'm going to put a, a number on the screen and you can t uh, reach out because it's a crazy life living with unforgiven and unprocessed regrets. God is here to offer you a better option. We don't dismiss that it happened, but we know he paid for what happened. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness, not based on our ability to obey, but his ability to save. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you for helping us today understand. Some of us weren't even planning on being in church today. But here we are. We listened to this message. And now we're trying to figure out, so how do I deal with this information? And I, I'm just praying that, that as we go forward in this week, whenever we make a mistake. We admit it will happen. We receive immediate forgiveness. And we'll allow that and redeem it for life change. That can only happen, that life change, through you, through your cross, through the gospel, through your spirit. Once again, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and his gift that we cannot earn. And we receive that today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
you're being blessed by this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us. You can give through our website at revisionchurchatlanta.org slash give. Or if you're local to Atlanta, Georgia, sign up to join a Revision volunteer team by texting CREW to 833-406-0775. That's CREW, C-R-E-W, to 833-406-0775. We hope you have a phenomenal week.